faithful. Faithful to the end. If there's anyone here who is a witness that God has been faithful, why don't you just give him five seconds of praise? For the last several weeks, been preaching from the general theme, I know I've been changed. I want to add the last installment coming from the 16th chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, beginning with verse number six. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. As you take your seat, touch somebody and tell them, you've got to put change into action. That's what I want to talk about today, putting change into action. Knowing the will of God seemed easy for the people of the Bible, or at least it seemed easy. When you read about Abraham leaving Ur of the Chaldees, going for what preachers used to say, looking for a city that had foundation, whose builder and maker is God, you get the impression that Abraham just packed up when God said go and made his way there and everything was just easy and normal. When you read that Moses marched before Pharaoh and declared to Pharaoh those immortal words, the Lord God of the Hebrews says, let my people go. We get no sense that Moses equivocated about it in the least, that he was determined, that he was sure this is what he needed to do. Skip over a little further and read about a prophet by the name of Elijah. One man, one sole solitary prophet in a time when the king was as wicked and corrupt as could be, challenges the 400 prophets of the king, the 450 prophets of the queen to meet him on Mount Carmel and to fight a battle for their God and the God who answered by fire would be God. One man against 950 folk. 
and Elijah marches up there and wins. When we read those stories, you immediately get the feeling that these men and even some others, these women, were sure confident in the direction their lives were always going. But my brothers and sisters, let's be honest today. If we do a closer inspection of these same personalities in the Bible, we will find that they were just as uncertain about their actions as many of us are about ours. Abraham goes looking for a city, but he runs into Pharaoh there who likes his wife. And Abraham says, she ain't my wife, she my sister. Nudge somebody and tell them, that ain't right. But it's the words of a scared man, afraid for his life and wondering if he's even in the right place. Moses, who marches before Pharaoh looking so confident with a rod in his hand and his brother beside him, and stands up and declares, the Lord God of the Hebrews. Understand who the Hebrews were. They were Pharaoh's slaves. The God of a bunch of slaves says, you better let them go. Moses may look bad, but read chapters earlier, and you'll find that when God told him to go, Moses said, you don't mean me. You mean somebody else. Moses comes up with five different arguments why God ought to send somebody else because Moses ain't sure this is what he wants to do. Elijah marches up on the hill and fights 950 prophets. And in the next chapter, he's running for his life down by a brook being fed by a raven and an angel comes to him and says, eat, because the journey is too great for you. Then he hides out in a cave at Mount Sinai and cries out to God, I, only I am left. What we think is easy, marking the will of God when you read the Bible, is what was just as difficult for people in the Bible as it is for you and for me. Touch somebody and tell them, I know it's hard for me. It would be wonderful if we were clairvoyants, if we could see the future, if we could read tarot cards and tea leaves and crystal balls and know exactly what was going to happen tomorrow. But that's not the way life is lived, brothers and sisters. We got to make some hard choices and some tough decisions. If I'm on anybody's street, just say amen. In fact, the chapter that I'm sharing with you today in the Acts of the Apostles, which picks up the journey now, not of Peter, but of Paul, is really the commencing of a new era in the church's mission and how it is gonna fulfill what Jesus said to take the gospels to the uttermost parts of the world. But at the same time, when you hear me say that Jesus says 
that you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the utmost parts of the world, and you hear that the disciples carry the gospel. Do not think that there were not times and moments when they wondered what their next step should be. It's always easy to know what you've done. It's not always easy to know what you should do. If I'm on somebody's street, just say amen. We find ourselves in a conundrum. We know we are the children of God, but we ain't sure what the will of God really is. God, I feel somebody's street today. That's where this text picks up. Paul and Silas are about to go out and visit the churches they've already established, or at least Paul and Barnabas have established. Barnabas has gone his own way, taking John Mark, and Silas is now with Paul, and they've determined to go out and revisit the churches and establish some new ones. They know that they are supposed to be missionaries out on the field, out leading other people to God. They know without a shadow of a doubt they have been changed. They are living in a new reality. People are coming to them. Persons are experiencing Christ through them. Other folk are listening to them. Opportunities are opening for them. Doors are opening for them. Their lives are headed in new directions. They know something has changed inside of them. Just to make sure I'm taking the right sermon to the right crowd, I just like to see the hands of folk who know something has changed in you. No, you're not perfect. You're not ready for your wings. In fact, you don't want to die today because you ain't ready to go nowhere. But you know you have been changed. Not only have you been changed, oh, this will make somebody shout. Look at somebody say, I am changing. I'm changing every day. Something unique, marvelous, and miraculous is taking place in me. I don't fully understand it. I try my best to embrace it. I haven't fully caught up with it, but I am unequivocally confident that something is happening in my life. I may not be everything I ought to be, but I'm not what I used to be, and I am learning to accept who I am becoming to be. And not only am I accepting it, uh-oh, but I'm beginning to like it. I am beginning to enjoy it. I am beginning to bask in it. I am beginning to want more of it. Am I talking to anybody who is living in a stage of your life where you have not gotten enough of the change that is taking place and something is still driving you, telling you there is more for you, telling you there is more coming into you, there is more you want to experience, more you want to be, more you want to, come on, somebody ought to be able to acknowledge without fear, favor, or fanaticism that you are changed. Slap five with the person beside you. Tell them I'm changed and I ain't shamed. God, if you understood what you just said, you'd shout this church down. I'm changed and I ain't shamed. 
but I've got to drop this point at this place in the sermon. I need to ask you a question. I need to throw out a concern, an idea, and drop it at your footsteps and see if you will pick it up. Here is my question to you. How open to change are you? Oh, it got quiet all of a sudden. Uh, are you flexible and fluid? Are you able and willing to adapt? Are you able to pivot in midair? Or are you stuck in your way? Are you determined it's your way or the highway? Are you convinced that you're the only person who knows how things ought to be done? I stopped in here to tell you if God is working on you, then major change is taking place inside of you. It's taking place in the way you think. It's taking place in the way you live. It's taking place in the way you act. It's taking place in your behavior. It's taking place in your conduct. It's taking place in your character. Am I on anybody's street? That's why we sing a great change has taken place in me. Somebody in here now knows if this were five years ago, you'd be sound asleep. If this was six years ago, you'd be a champagne brunch. If this were a year ago, you'd be sleeping off a hangover or high, but here you are sitting your little self in church and ain't shamed to be here, glad of the transformation that is happening in you and I stopped in here to tell you a change has taken place and the purpose of this sermon today is to help you understand that a change in you necessitates a change from you that a change in you is going to start demanding a change from you. In other words, you and I are going to have to start putting this change into action. Into action. Paul and Silas are planning to visit all of these churches. And so they make their plan. And they launch out from Derb and Lystra. It's in their mind. They're set. They're going to go to Derb and Lystra. From Derb and Lystra, they're going to branch off and go into Galatia. And from Galatia, they're going to go into Asia. And from Asia, they're going to spread the gospel toward the east. They're going to take the gospel to the eastern lands. That's their plan. Their first stop is the city of Derb in Lystra. There they meet a young man, a young man, a 15, 16-year-old boy by the name of Timothy. They pick him up and make him a part of the team. Timothy is the son of a Greek and the son of a Jewish woman, a Greek man and a Jewish woman. But Paul and Silas introduce him to Jesus Christ. He is a young man. They pick up a young man. Y'all still haven't caught it yet. They pick up a young man and expose him to the things of the kingdom. Oh, God, y'all missed it. They pick up a young man, 15, 16, and while he has been exposed to the Greek culture, while he has been exposed to other things in the land where he lives, while he has been exposed to the sporting activities of the Greeks, Paul and Silas expose him to the things of the kingdom. Why? Because you can never do great things if you've never had great exposure. 
So they expose him to the things of the kingdom. Now let me help somebody. They expose him to something that radically alters his life. We may expose our children to a lot that the American Baltimore, Baltimore County culture has to offer. But in the midst of exposing them, do not fail to expose them to the things of the kingdom of God that are going to ultimately radically transform their lives. Some of you in here are grateful that a grandmama and a mama or a daddy told you something about God. Yes, it's good you learn how to play sports. Yes, it's good you become academically strong. But in the midst of all you're getting, get some understanding about God because what you learn about God will become the slab, the foundation of your life. Some of you have tried to stray but could not stray but so far because your foundation would not let you go but so far. Am I on anybody's street? How many of you know the Holy Spirit did not have to come into a far country to get you? He only had to go next door and down the street. Why? Because you had been exposed to something at an early age and it had begun to radically alter who you are. I didn't mean to go there, but I had to tarry there for a minute. Paul and Silas are excited that they have young Timothy with them. And so now they get ready to go into Galatia. They get ready to march rather into Asia and to take the gospel there. But the Spirit says no. So they head forward. They go forward. They go forward. They go to Mycenae and they go travel through the province of Mycenae. And it's Paul's intent to go from Mycenae and then branch up, go northward into Bithynia and take the gospel to Bithynia. He's already got his charts. He knows where he's going to go there, what people he's going to stay with. He has his plans laid out in his mind. He knows what he's going to preach, how he's going to deliver, how everything is going to work. It's all set in his mind. He has made up his mind. He knows the course he's going to go. But the Spirit says no. Look at somebody and tell them the Spirit will say no. God, I feel like preaching this. The Spirit says no. You're not going in that direction. We are not told what the Spirit does. Maybe the Spirit set up some roadblocks and he was not physically able to go into those regions. We are not told. We are not told whether there was some kind of obstruction that stopped him. Maybe he did not have the papers. Or maybe, just maybe, and some of you may can identify with this, he had no peace with the decision to go there. Am I talking to anybody in here who's ever had a moment when the Holy Spirit said no to you? He didn't take gas out your car. He didn't take money out your pocket. But there was such an uneasiness in you that there was no peace with the decision you were about to make. Can I get a witness in here? I want to help somebody. You know one of the ways I attach to God's will for my life is not how smooth the past is, but if I have what I call decisioning peace. If with the decision I have a peace inside of me, I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know where things going to go. I don't know if I'll have the money. I don't know if I can climb the will, but I've got a peace of mind and a peace of soul about this. I 
I believe in my spirit. God didn't bring me this far to leave me now. I don't know how it's going to happen, but somehow, why? Because I've got peace. And the Lord will keep you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. Can I talk to anybody here who knows where I'm coming from? When God has the wind at your back, there is peace in your soul. You may be broke. You may not know where the next dollar is coming from. You may not know how you're going to do what you got to do, but somehow you know you are on the right course because there is peace in your soul. Slap five with somebody and tell them, I've got peace. I've got peace. And when you have that kind of peace, when you have that kind of decisioning peace, you can run through hell with gasoline on your shoes. You can jump over mountains and swim through valleys. Why? Because if God be, he is more than the world against you. Slap five with somebody. Tell them, I know when I have peace. My God. And so what happens? What happens? Paul knows he's been changed. He's, but he doesn't have peace with the decision he's making to try to still get into Asia by way of Bithynia. He doesn't have peace. He's not content. He, he's laying awake at night. He, he, he's driving and he's just getting places. Doesn't know how he gets there. His mind is going a hundred miles an hour. He can't think straight. The spirit is saying no. Look at somebody say the spirit told me no. Sometimes you don't have any idea what the next move is because the Spirit is saying no. Saying no to your plans and no to your direction. That's why I came to preach this sermon today because that we've got to understand what the Spirit is trying to do in the lives of changed people. The Bible says, so Paul went on down to Troas, and while down in Troas, that night he has a dream. He sees a vision of a man standing over in Macedonia calling, saying, come on over and help us. Come on over and help us. And Paul all of a sudden realizes we got to go that way. We can't go here, can't go to the, the west, to the east, can't go, can't take the gospel to Asia can't go to the west to the eastern world where meditation and contemplation are the order of the day. We can't go to the east where China and Confucianism are in vogue. We cannot take the gospel to the east where their belief, belief system is structured around something else. But now God is telling us there's only one direction available to us. That's to go straight ahead and take the gospel to the west. Go across the water. Go to Mass Macedon, go to where Philip of Macedon, the father of Alexander the Great, founded a great empire, established culture, gave it a writing system, and where the Romans have taken over and superimposed systems like highways and government so that the gospel can now travel by roads that are set up. Do not go to the areas that you'll have to fight your way through every step of the way. Instead, God is going to send you in a brand new direction. You do not understand it, but everything is put in place for the direction you are going. 
God, I don't know who I'm preaching to. I need to help somebody understand you fighting the path that's going to be the best one in your life. Stop fighting the path that God's been working on for years to take you where you need to go. Can I get a half a witness? I need you to look at somebody and tell them, just believe God. Believe God for the right direction. Believe God that the way that he's pointing, the way he is closing down that you have to travel is the way that he has prepared for you every step of the way. While you were asleep, he was having roads built. While you were asleep, he was having culture organized. While you were asleep, he was raising up people who would hear your word. While you were asleep, he was putting people in place who's going to bless you. While you were asleep, he was ordering your steps and preparing your path for what you would be and do because you have been changed. My God. He sees this vision and he has to go. And the Bible says the next day, Paul told him, pack up. Pack up. All my weeks of struggling are over. All my days and weeks of trying to figure out what is the will of God is over. I know which way to go now. And I know why I'm going this way. Slap five with somebody tell me too. Because I've been changed. God, I feel like preaching this. I may go overtime, but I feel like I've been changed. Can, can I preach like I want? And I've been changed, not just so I can come to church. Not somebody said, you get that? See, see, this change ain't just so I can sit and read my Bible and sing, pray, and meditate. Wave my hands and go, oh, hallelujah. No, 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 no. This change ain't so I can just stop sitting at Bedside Baptist and watching the stream and bring myself into the house of God or read my Bible and meditate on the scriptures. That's not what this change is all about. See, when God changes you, it is so that you will not only come to church, yes and love to be in his family but the change that is manifest in you God is saying he wants to see us open ourselves up to be used by him to accomplish his will in the world that change doesn't mean anything until you are willing to get past you and start saying thy will be done until your will becomes his will can I get a witness this I'm not preaching so you come to church every Sunday I'm preaching so you can say like Isaiah here am I Lord send me slap five with somebody and tell them it's about surrendering your will surrendering your desire surrendering your plan for your life and saying father I stretch my hand to thee. No other help I know. Somebody in here is on my street right now. In other words, I can't just talk this change. I got to put this change to action. Don't tell me you've been changed and all I hear is your plan. Don't tell me you've been changed 
and the world revolves around you. Uh-oh, getting quiet now. You can have church membership, but that don't mean you've been changed. And it's all right here in the text. The text says, Paul saw a vision of a man waving, come on over and help us. And the next moment, Paul gets up that next morning, tells everybody, pack up, we're going. Why? Because when you've been changed, you start seeing what God sees. You see the needs of others before you see the needs of yourself. Can I get a half a witness? See, oh God, let me help you say something. When the Spirit lives in you, you grow internally, but you focus externally. When the Spirit is living in you, you start growing internally. You don't talk the same. You don't think the same. Your brain starts reconnecting new neural networks. You start having understandings that blow your mind. You drop in what Carl Jung calls the collective unconsciousness. The gifts of the Holy Spirit began to resonate in you. The gift of knowledge to know things you would not ordinarily know. The gift of wisdom, the practical application of knowledge. The of faith to believe when other folk can't believe. Can I get a witness in here? The gift of mercy to be able to extend grace and mercy to people when they think they don't deserve it. Can I find somebody? The gift of encouragement to speak a positive word in a dark situation that brings somebody alive. All of that is put in the melting pot of your isness. Oh God, let me get philosophical. It's put in the melting pot of your isness until you begin to rise in the stature and frame of Jesus Christ himself. And that's what's happening on the inside. But while all of that is happening on the out inside, God gives you vision to focus on the outside so that you see the needs that are operating around you. You see the pain of other people. Do I have a witness? You cannot say that you've been changed and you do not see the hurt in the eyes of other people. You do not see the pain in the lives of little children. It does not bother you when families are torn apart. Great God Almighty. When you see people being killed and abused, when you see folk who get up in age who have to eat dog food and cat food, it does not bother you. You cannot say the Holy Spirit lives in you because when the Spirit lives in you, you, your vision becomes what God sees. You have eyes that see what God sees. You see the pain that people live through, the suffering that people are enduring, the hurt that folk have to go through. Am I on anybody's street in here? That's how you know you've got the Holy Ghost. You see what God sees. Slap five with somebody say, I see it and it alters my priority. Do I have anybody in here who knows that the Holy Spirit has altered your priorities? It used to be all about you, you this, you that, you the other, but now God is moving in your heart. You see other people hurting and you want to fix it. You see people struggling. You see this, you see that, and you don't want to tweet about it. You want to get involved. You want to do something better for somebody else. Slap five with somebody. Tell them, you see what other people don't 
see. You see what God shows you. You don't see what self-centered people see. You don't see what self-absorbed people see because all they see is what they can get out of life. But you see what you can put into life, what you can give back to life. Putting change into action means you've got to see. you got to see stuff. You start seeing stuff. You start seeing the pain in other folks' eyes. You start seeing the struggles that they're going through. And let me help somebody understand something. There's always a need to be seen. Am I on anybody's street in here? God will show it to you, but here's the next point because I got to race on. Here's the next point, putting change into action. And this is, this is where I want to lay down my gauntlet. Paul sees a vision. Man saying, come on over Macedonia and help us. And the Spirit says, I didn't shut this door. I didn't shut this door. I only left. One, you ain't going to get what's behind door number one. You ain't going to get what's behind door number two. The only door left for you, door number three. But what you going to do? Most of us still try to open up door number one and two. If I'm on your street, come on, give me a finger wave. We still go back and try to bust open door number one. I'm going through door number two. Yes, I am. But Paul, Paul doesn't try that. And I started wrestling with what happened. He sees a man waving, come on over to Macedonia, help us. And the spirit says, what you going to do? Spirit said, I need you to put change into action. And whenever the, the Spirit shows you a problem, nudge the person beside say, this is for you. Whenever the Spirit shows you a problem, let me slow it down, it's a little muggy. And I know when it's hot, you don't shout. So ain't no need me hollering. Whenever the Spirit shows you a problem, you are, and I am, the provision for whatever it is we see. Whatever you see, you are the provision for it. What? He sees a man. He sees a man. Macedonia, come on over here and help us. Now, I need, this is 9.30. Some of our visitors, I, I need to help you understand. At the 9.30 service, all of our real deep people come to church. So I have to go deep. All the real deep, deep people with all the deep people wave at me. See, you see what I mean? See what I mean? Let, let, let me explain it. Paul, Sherry, Paul sees a man saying, come on over, Macedonia, and help us.
Now here's my question. The text just says, help us. But what does help look like? Paul could have thought he meant he needs an army because we need political liberation. So I need soldiers. He's saying, come over and help us because we're living under the Romans and the Romans are oppressing us. So therefore, I need to have, a, I need an army. Bring an army over here and help us. Paul said, no, I don't, I don't think he means political. He could have meant economic. Come on over and help our economy because you know our economy is at the lowest level it can be when the major economy catches a, 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 a cold or sneezes you know we wind up in the hospital with the flu so so we need we need you to come over here with businesses and and, and with programs and to save our economy and put our young men back to work because he said come over and help us. But what does help mean? Did it mean we need a social revolution here? Because there's a caste system here. There's a caste system that separates people. And we need you to come and bring whatever is necessary to disrupt this caste system and put everybody on equal footing. Because he said, come over and help us. But the question is, what does help look like. Whatever God shows you a problem, he lets you interpret what it means to you. Paul says, we're going over there. We're not going with an army because all I got is Timothy and Silas and neither one of them can fight. Timothy 16 and tight Silas ain't never been in a fight in his whole life. I'm old, bent over, and dumb, and I can't fight. So we ain't taking no military. I don't have any money, so I can't do, disrupt the economy. I'm not an entrepreneur, so I can't go start businesses. But what I do have is the name of Jesus, and I can take that. And if I take what I have there, it can begin to transform life there. Now, I said that to say this. The Holy Spirit Spirit knows what he has given you. Look at somebody and say, and what you have may not be what I have. But whatever God show, whenever God shows you a need, you are the exact supply for that need. You are the provision for that need. Our problem is we are always trying to redefine what the problem is so that it is beyond our ability to resource it. God said, stop looking for a problem you can't solve and solve the problem that you are the resource for. Do I have anybody here who's getting what I'm talking about? Whatever the problem you see, you can fix it. God, I wish I had somebody here who has lived long enough to know you are the resource for the problem you see. God Almighty, I'm a father, my wife, and I have three children. And there are times we saw our children come to us. And when they came to us, we were the provision for them. We were the provision. They needed somebody to love them. We were the provision for them. They needed somebody to talk good sense to them. We were the provision for them. They needed somebody to show them or introduce them to somebody. We were the provision for them. They needed somebody to help them understand life. We were the provision for them. There were times they came 
came to us, they may need some money. We were the provision for them. Whatever God sends to you, he made you the resource for it. Why? Because you have been changed and the Holy Spirit can use what you bring to the table to fix the problem that is in front of you. Do I have anybody in here who understands where I'm coming from? That's what God does for you. God makes you capable and competent in any situation where you find yourself. If he shows you a need, he will make you the supply. Wait a minute. Let me see if some of y'all are missing it. Jesus was teaching. 5,000 people were in front of him, teaching this great class. And he said at the end of the class, let's feed the folk. Disciples said, we can't feed these people. If we had 200 days worth of wages, we couldn't feed all these people. It's 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. But there was one little boy sitting out there who heard the sermon. He went to Andrew and Andrew, or rather to Philip, and Philip took him to Andrew. And Andrew took him to Jesus and said, well, there is a boy here. There's a lad here. But all he got is two fish and five loaves of bread. But what is this to feed so many? Help me somebody. Jesus said, all I want y'all to do is tell the people to sit down. They said, ain't nobody going to be able to eat with two fish. Wait a minute, y'all thinking the wrong way. Y'all thinking marlin and y'all thinking big tuna. No, no, no. With two sardines, or rather, yeah, two sardines and five little Parker House rolls. Look at somebody say, brown bag lunch. Uh, the boy brings a brown bag lunch to Jesus. Why? Brian, because he sees a need. He sees Jesus trying to feed 5,000 folk. But what does he have? Lunch. Two fish and five biscuits. He says, I'm going to, and Andrew says, but what is this to feed so many? Jesus says, sit them down. Pass out what you got. Then he looks at the 12 disciples who said it couldn't be done because they weren't willing to go get their fish sandwiches. Yolanda, they didn't go get their fish sandwiches. They didn't go get their lunch. They looked at the enormity of the problem and tried to define it as beyond their ability to resource it. But the little kid looked at the enormity of the problem and said, I'm going to give what I got to it. And that's going to knock it down some. And Jesus took the food and passed it out. Then said to the very folk who said it can't be done, y'all get the baskets and go collect the fragments. And when they came back with 12 baskets of fragments, he looked at them and said, well, I guess the little boy told y'all. I stopped in here to tell somebody, whatever God has given you, it is enough for every problem you are seeing and facing. Whatever God has put in you, use it for what he has given you. And you will see walls fall. You will see devils fly. You will see troubles run. You will see people blessed. You will see lives changed. Am I talking to anybody here? 
is there anybody in church today who has ever seen God take the little that you have and bless so many people with it? All because you were willing to say, Lord, this is what I have and I'm turning mine over to yours. Slap five with somebody and tell them I've got to turn it over to him. I've got to give it back to him. I've got to let him have it because if he gave it to me, it can bless somebody else. He gave it to me. I'm going to use what I have because I just believe God didn't bring me this far to leave me now. I need about 20 people who know you are a living example that God has changed your life. God is showing you situations. I stopped in here to tell you it's not enough to see it. You got to solve it. You've got to let the Holy Ghost work through you. You've got to let God use you. Find somebody on your road and tell him he wants to use you. Say it like you mean it. Don't get cute up in here, but say it to somebody else. God wants to use you. He's put it in you. Now let him bring it out of you. He put it in you. Now let him bring it out of you. Do I have anybody here who knows you've been changed? Do I have anybody here who know God is using you? Then slap five with somebody and tell them Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to me. I'm on a new journey. I'm on a new mission. I can solve what I see. I can fix what broke in front of me. I can lift lives, turn situations around. I can speak things that are not as if they are so. And if God be for me, he is more than the world against me. Get behind me, Satan. I found God's will. Get behind me, Satan. I'll do God's will. Get behind me, Satan. I've got the spirit of Jesus. And if Jesus lives in you, you can do all things but fail. Grab somebody. Tell them no failure. God's got it. Grab somebody else. Tell them no failure. God's got it. He's still taking care of me. He's still making a way for me. He's still using me. He's still opening doors for me. He's still raising me up. He's still blessing lives. He's still opening my mind. He's still saving souls. He's still the joy of my salvation. I will bless the Lord at all times. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Oh, thank you, Father. Thank you for your joy. Thank you for your will. Thank you for your way. Thank you for your anointing. We're going to bust it up in here. But grab the person beside you and tell them I am anointed for where I'm appointed. I am anointed for where I'm appointed. Ah!
I am anointed for where I am appointed. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Oh, yes, I am. For where I am appointed. And Jesus is the best thing. Turner, so oppression in America, and he was provisioned for a rebellion. Gabriel Prosser, or rather Daniel Walker, saw oppression in America, and he was provisioned for the writing of David Walker's appeal. Martin King saw oppression in America. And he was provisioned for marches, Selma, Birmingham, Alabama, Chicago, Washington. Your mama, daddy, my mama and daddy saw oppression in America. And they were provisioned for us growing up to be the men and women that we are right now. Whatever you see, you are the solution. Because the same spirit that was at work in Jesus is at work in you. And you will not fail. God, I need a shout on that. I feel like that word has to be said of David. David said, I am old, but I have been young. And I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their seed begging for bread. And I need some folk in here who know God has always made a way and used you to make a way. I need you to give him glory like you ain't never given it before. I need you to praise God for being an instrument in his hand. Jesus is the best thing. I want everybody to stand. I got a feeling in my spirit. Oh. Look at somebody and tell them, I'm, a, I'm anointed for where I'm appointed. Whatever, and I just can't stop saying it. Whatever you see, you are the solution for it. You don't need to pass it on to nobody else. 
you gotta look at what you see. There was a woman caught in a woman came to Jesus. She had been married five times, and the man she was with wasn't her own. Look at somebody and say, busy sister. Busy sister. She didn't come in the morning to the well because the other women were there and would give her the side eye. Wondering if she'd been with their man. So she came late in the day. She came late in the evening. And at that late time, Jesus came and sat at the well. She didn't expect him to talk to her because she was a Samaritan. And she said, Jews and Samaritans don't have no dealing. Jesus looked at her and said, you had five husbands and the one you with ain't yours now. And she, praise God, somebody's walking. Praise God. She's coming up to put her offering down. So the woman says, woman looks at Jesus and says, I don't know who you are. Jesus said, I want some water. The woman said, the well is deep. You ain't got nothing to draw with. Trying to hit on him. Some people don't even know when they're doing bad, they're still trying to hit. Jesus looked at and said, if you knew who it was that was asking you, praise God, walk him down, Titus. So if you knew who it was that was asking you, you would say, give me that water that flows up to everlasting life. Jesus looked at her. She had five husbands, and the man she was with wasn't her husband, which means she had low self-esteem. She had low self-respect. She didn't know where she lived because that man owned the house. He could put her out at any minute. Her money was funny. She couldn't move anywhere on her own. We don't know what kind of shape she was in. She'd been passed around. She went to six man. So we don't know how bad off sister is. She may look like she'd been beat. She got a lot of issues. But Jesus doesn't try to solve all them. He looks at the one and says, talks to her about the kingdom of God. And when he finished, she dropped her water pot ran back to the city, ran back to the men she used to be with, and tell, told them, I found a man. God will, you don't have to try to solve all the problems. God says, solve the one you see. And that woman's life was changed. We can't solve all the problems of the economy of Baltimore or Maryland or the United States. But you can take somebody under your wing, teach them some job skills. My mama, I'm using all these examples so you get it. My father was a postal clerk. My mama was a stay-at-home mom and a substitute teacher. We couldn't, mama couldn't help everybody everywhere, do everything. Daddy was on a postal clerk income. But whenever my mama met young people that were struggling in school with reading or grown people that couldn't read well, she'd bring them over the house and she'd see that need for them to know how to read. 
And even though daddy was supposed to work and she's a stay-at-home mom, she'd have children sitting around the table teaching them their phonetics, making sure they learn how to read, because that was the problem she saw and the one she could fix. Y'all following what I'm saying? There's always a problem you can fix if God shows you you can do it. If anyone writes your life story, they talk about the change in you. Can you lean over to somebody again? Tell them, I've been changed. 